This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, and I'm here with Mr. Greg Crumpton himself. Greg, how are you today? Gabby, I am doing great. I'm uh, sitting here. Uh, this is Christmas week, so we're all in the uh, get ready for Christmas uh, mode and uh, just having a lot of fun. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, looking forward to some family coming in this week and just having, having a little bit of quiet time, but not too much because it's my family. And I've got Wendy Williams, who's howling in the background. So, you know, it's never a dull moment around here. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, uh, today, folks, we have uh, somebody who I think you're going to enjoy talking with. uh, Meg Seitz, who's the CEO of Toth. Uh, Toth, and I'm going to let her talk a little bit about it, but her Toth shop is the name of her company. And a very interesting story about the whole top concept uh, that I learned doing my homework and uh, really thrilled to welcome Meg. So, well, uh, Meg, welcome to Straight Out of Crumpton. Good to, good to see you this morning and great to talk to you. I'm, I'm happy to be here, Greg. I have heard about this podcast for years now, so I'm excited to finally make the list of guests. So thank you. Well, maybe, I mean, obviously your invite was called in the spam box, so uh, I'm glad we got that sorted out. So. <laughs> well, um, so I teed it up a little bit, uh, what you do in the name of your company and what have you. Tell us a little bit about your company and, and what you, uh, what your work life is. Uh, I know it from my lens, but I'm really anxious to hear it from yours uh, and especially your middle name. I just love that story. Yes. Okay. So I'll start there. Um, as Greg said, I'm the founder of Toth Shop. Toth spelled T-O-T-H um, shop. And Greg is referring to the fact that my middle name is Toth, T-O-T-H. Um, and really, I'll, I'll talk about what we the company does in a second. But I love to start out with the story of Toth Shop. Um, Toth like I said, is my middle name. And I carry that name in honor of my great grandmother, whose name was Elizabeth Toth. And I never met her. Our lives never intersected. She passed away in the late 1960s. But her story has, I've, you know, heard about her story from my grandfather and my mom. And it's really extraordinary. She, back in the early 1900s, she is Hungarian. So Toth is a Hungarian name. And she was, from what we understand, she was probably about 15 or 16 years old. And she got on a boat in the middle of the night and made her way from Hungary, northern, really the northern part of of Hungary, which was at the time the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So right kind of at the border where Slovakia is now, um, she made her way at at age 15 or 16 on a boat um, from Eastern Europe to, to Alice Island first and then to Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh is where our family is from. She ended up meeting her husband, my great grandfather, um, in Pittsburgh at church. 
but it was really, it's always been such a part mystery and part just like, I mean, the chutzpah it took for her to go to make that journey at her age by herself, no English, no money, like literally just this vision of the fact that there was some, she must have sensed something. I mean, obviously she got out before the beginning of, you know, years, maybe two or three years before World War One. So we sensed that they probably in some of the smaller communities sensed that something was up and uh, took it upon herself to leave by herself as a teenager. And obviously that move changed the trajectory of our family um, forever. A lot of Hungarian families at that time left with the intention of making money and and going back and, and living, you know, starting a family and then moving back. She did travel back there um, once my grandfather was born, but then made the decision as the matriarch of the family that they weren't going to stay. They were going to stay in the U.S. And she ended up becoming a citizen in the 1950s. So that is a name. Her Obviously, her maiden name was Toth. Um, it's on a plaque at Ellis Island, too, as one of the millions of Americans who came through Ellis Island. Um, but that's my middle name. It's literally the heart of my name. And when I started Toth Shop eight years ago, I really struggled with, you know, what do you name a company? Do you give it your do you give it your first name, last name? Like, do you give it some random name with the hopes of selling it someday? And I just really felt like Toth was such an interesting story and and has come has become part of the way we work with clients too. We we really work to humanize communication and we partner with business leaders and brands and and a lot of emerging ideas around the world to to humanize to bring the the human interest stories out the people stories out and so i think it's only fair that the name is in fact a reference to somebody who um to an extraordinary person well that's a, a heck of a story and I, in fact I, I read that uh i can't remember if it was last night or early today um that's scary right there that I can't even remember 12 hours ago, but That's all nonetheless, right. um, welcome, welcome to my life. But, you know, I, I think that's so what, what you said, Meg, which is really cool is the heart of your name, meaning, you know, the, the center, uh, really, really great story. But um, have you been to Ellis Island and seen that? So I have not been, so we lived in New York when I was little on Long Island. And so I've been to Ellis Island as a child, but I have not been as an adult. And that's something that's um, really important to me that I do at some point. Um, I have heard that was something that was important to my grandfather. So, um, you know, her son, Elizabeth's son, that, that her name was, was permanently placed there. So I know it's there, but I haven't seen it. That, that visit is, uh, I got goosebumps right now, actually thinking about my trip there, how cool it was. Um, almost it is as intimate of a feeling as uh, the 9-11 museum. Uh, yeah. It's just something that really hits you deeply. You know, obviously those are two entirely, one, one's the beginning, one's the end uh, of journeys, but mm -hmm. that same raw emotion really popped uh, for both of those visits for me. So thank you for, thank you for telling us that, um, cool stuff. Now 
what does the heart of your name do? What what is some of the cool stuff you do? I know you you're, help people communicate, but what like when when somebody comes to you as a business owner, if Gabby came to you and said, "Hey, I'm an awesome podcast host," as we know, and but I want to get my message out. How how do you go about that? What does that look and sound like? Yeah, um, a couple of things. I would probably say. You know, a couple of the the groups or the types of people we work with, um, you know, obviously, if we're working with a business or a brand, we are helping them shape what communication looks like on a daily, sometimes daily, but mostly weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. So we will work a lot with their teams, communication, marketing, sometimes PR, to figure out what the messaging is on a daily, weekly, monthly basis so that they are putting themselves out there as much as as feels comfortable. Not only from a sales and I think it's part sales and marketing, obviously, but I think it's also the way I think about it is just brand education. How are we educating the world on who you are and and what you do. And a lot of times in in the context of of our work, a lot of times that means human interest stories, give back stories, leader profiles. And that's probably another category we tackle a lot with CEOs and C-suite leaders is they know, you know, they've been told by their marketing and communications teams that you know, you've got to write at least once a month. You've got to put something out on LinkedIn or on the blog. And a lot of them, they never do it. And uh, they end up building this permanent to-do list of like all these pieces they've been thinking about, but they just forget to it. So we end up working, partnering with a lot of C-suite leaders to be like, give it like, let's have an interview. Let's talk. Let's just get all this stuff out on the table. And then our team helps them make sense of it and helps break it into one piece, two pieces, a series. You know, we look for themes. Um, And a lot of times in working with leaders like that, we end up kind of finding these threads to follow for them or some middle paths in their messaging that they didn't even know. Um, Which really speaks to the third thing that we do is that foundational brand work. Is a lot of brands communication marketing teams are so close to it that they're they're in the daily stuff that they don't see the gold nuggets or they don't see the the bigger picture they don't see that you know these pieces that they've been putting out actually do speak to mission and vision and values and they've kind of lost touch with that so we really help brands kind of refocus and realign back to some of those foundational brand pieces that are really identity building so that that feels that's kind of more of the woo-woo side of what we do, but on a daily basis, it's really helping people figure out who they are, what they do, and and how to communicate that. So my branding and marketing has been kind of backward learned, but it's always been puzzling to me how we have you know multi-million billion-dollar companies that don't understand all the time the difference between marketing selling and branding. You know, those are three different activities uh, that require a different skill set or at least a different execution. Um, yeah. So I've just always been fascinated by the fact that, you know, goofball me kind of sees that. But the other thing that you, you said this a while ago in, in a way that really made me think, but you said they're too close to it. Um, 
you know, and I tell this story a lot when I'm talking about marketing and selling and, and branding. Uh, a friend of mine and I went to a NASCAR race one time. Um, it was in Charlotte um, years ago, and it was like the KBW 500. And, you know, when you spend enough money to market or, or to sponsor a NASCAR race, you've spent some darn money. You know, those things are not cheap to come by. So all during the day, he and I, um, and, and probably we are, are, you know, as the day went along, we, were, we started to notice, like we kept hearing this, the blankety blank 500. Finally, we looked at each other, probably had a beer or two in us by that point, and said, what exactly is that company and what are they doing? You know, here's two guys. He's an air conditioning guy by trade. You know, we're we're at an event that we pay for tickets. We're going there for a specific purpose, captive audience. We left there without ever knowing, and I still don't know, what that company did, what they wanted us to leave there knowing about them or anything. I just thought, what a waste of millions um, to miss. And I would be at, at that point in my mind, uh, a target audience for them, you know, age-wise, demographic-wise, what have you. But it, it just always uh, has always baffled me. Like I never got a follow-up survey. I never got anything out of that money they spent on that event. So well, anyway, I don't know what the heck that meant, but other than they, they missed the mark. Well, yeah, I think what you're talking about too is, you know, even the messaging, the way it was delivered to you, whether it was spoken, you know, whether it's over the, the loudspeaker or even if it's written, just giving you a, a really simple tagline to either hear or read just to like, like connect the dots. Because I think what you're explaining happens a lot is that those brands just assume that visitors, watchers, you know, people who are there know who they are. And we really can't make that assumption anymore that even just a little three to five words just to like connect the dots and get you to be like, hmm, that's interesting. Let me check out the website or exactly. Let me go look later. Yeah. But just a little nudge to be like, ah, that makes like, that, I, all right. I understand the company name. I have a, a general idea of what they do. I, I know where to go to explore it. I think, I think that's exactly like that's a superhuman issue that comes up a lot when it comes to marketing for branding, and, but more specifically marketing. Well, I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I refer to that as corporate arrogance in that mm -hmm. they don't even know. And I, and I work for a big company. I'm not I'm not being uh, trying to be hateful about it, but that's just the word that comes to mind because we assume mm -hmm. and um, you know how to spell assume very well. So, yeah. All right. So here's the fun part. How did um, how did we come to know each other? I think it's a really cool story. Um, we have a mutual friend. Um, I'll let you tell the story because I'd love to hear your version of of our our uh, connection point because she's a cool lady yeah. herself. Yes. Um, so tell us about that a little bit. Um. Yes. So this had to be. Greg, what, 2018? Yeah, it was definitely. Pre-pandemic. I mean, I want to say 2018 or 2019. So to rewind, 
Um, I moved to Charlotte in 2007 and my, you know, my, the job that moved me to Charlotte was a teaching job. Um, I taught 12th grade English and yearbook. And there was one student who was on my yearbook staff my very first year. And then my second year teaching, she was in my English class and her name is Molly. And Molly went on obviously to graduate from high school and college and start working And then I want to say it was about 2016, 2017, I get an email from Molly. She has moved back to Charlotte and she just wants to grab coffee. And at this point, she is working um, for a company called the Performance Group. And she's actually working for her dad, um, who is the CEO founder of the Performance Group. And so it is through Molly that um, I met Greg, because I know, Greg, you have been connected and you've been in deep work with Molly's dad, Sam, for a long time. And so Molly brought me into the inner circle, having been her high school English and yearbook teacher. Um, She brought me into the circle and into the fold to be able to do work with you and what you were up to with service logic at the time. Right here. It lives. It lives. Yeah. So uh, I want to say the first time I met you, it was uptown and we were just kind of casually talking, um, the three of us, before, I want to say it was before another meeting. We were kind of doing like a warm-up meeting. Yeah, the meeting before the meeting. The meeting before the meeting. Molly brought me in on it. And um, yeah, so it's Molly Pedamonte who I have to thank for um, getting connected with you. Well, thank, thank may be a tough word after this interview, after this podcast. <laughs> Now, Molly and her family, her dad, Sam, uh, has been on this podcast with us before. Um, And I can't remember if Molly has or not, but if she hasn't, then obviously um, she will be soon. Well, you know, she has been because I think she I think she told and I only know that because I I told Greg this before we started that I saw Molly for um drinks and dinner last night we were talking about the podcast and she had been on it years ago but i think she tells the same origin story of like how we how we met and just the just the evolution and especially for me as a teacher like it's been really cool i was a young teacher i was probably 22 23 so not much older than my students at the time and so it's been fun to watch all of our careers grow and evolve and molly's been a huge um testament to just business and career evolution well, she's a good soul, and I think it, it, it speaks a lot of her maturity level because I have never, ever called my 12th grade teacher and asked for a coffee date, just FYI. Mm-hmm. Um, my 12th grade teachers would probably, like, move or disconnect their phone or something because <laughs> I, I was not necessarily a very good human in the 12th grade. Um but anyway, I digress. But I'm glad that we finally got connected. Yeah. Um, not finally, that we did get connected. But I do have to ask, why lowercase on your writing? Because oh. it's very limited capital letters. Very limited capital letters. That's that is for sure. I I mean, honestly, I just like the way it looks. Like there's no like 
there's there's no like hidden meaning there's there's nothing wild except for the fact that like i just love the way a sentence flows when it's all lowercase and i know like there are certain poets who have done it in the past there are also you know other brands that have done it in the past i want to say what inspired me is that after i left teaching i went to work for lululemon and that was really the first brand that hit my radar screen and as as a lowercase brand, um, because they always spelled Lululemon all lowercase. And so I think it was through osmosis that I absorbed it through Lululemon, but then I took it on for myself. Um, just honestly, cause I like the way it looks and Greg, you're like, that is the, one of the most popular questions people ask me because it's so interesting to see who's uncomfortable with it. Like there are some people that are like, I am, I'm very uncomfortable with the fact really? that and it ends up being almost kind of like a little personality test of like, who's really uncomfortable with lowercase letters and who, and who notices it and thinks it's great or thinks it's interesting. Um, but I think anytime as a, as a writer and a reader of a, a lot of things and in different types of uh, material, I think anything that throws off our eye a little bit is just really interesting. So if people are paying attention enough to notice it, then that's something that's kind of a signal to me that that they actually read it and absorbed it. Well, I, I fall in the category of people who like it and think it's cool. So um, <laughs> I've, I've often, because uh, I'm a hack of a writer, I like to write, I'm not at all educated, uh, I can barely use complete sentences a lot, well, even when I talk. Um, so I write, I, I call it like a barbaric style, you know, I, I'm just like a full-on assault. Um, it, but I'm, I'm mindful, and I think this is only through learning through people like you and, and other educated people, uh, that words matter a lot, you know, like w how you use them, um, bold face, different colored fonts. Cause I'm like a f dang goldfish, you know, if something's a, a bright color. I I'm going to look at it. That's just yeah. my personality. Yeah. Um, but when I write stuff, I'm very cognizant about, uh, capitalizing words that are supposed to be, and then sometimes not capitalizing them, kind of doing a little test like you do, mm -hmm. uh, just to see, you know, even on LinkedIn posts, I love the post on LinkedIn, uh, especially for the trades, because that's my passion. But it's interesting to what gets people's attention uh, versus what people ignore and not choose to comment on or, or you know, like or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like a little... I don't know, like a little science project all the time with people, which is what our podcast is about and what, like, how do jobs and trades and family and all that crap tie together uh, into you know, this, this life journey we're on? Um, it's just another interesting piece of info. So I mm -hmm. love it. I love the fact you do that. And I also like the fact that you do it, uh, I, I guess, subconsciously now you do it, but you part of the reason you do it is did it get someone's attention mm -hmm. am i sending the right message did they notice it so very cool stuff 
Yeah, I was just going to say, too, in what you're talking about with LinkedIn, it's so funny to me. I was just this occurred to me. It's so funny to me how people get really hooked on rules. And I think when it comes to writing exactly what you're talking about, like you're really hard on yourself when it comes to your writing style. And I think it's because for some reason, we're all still like hooked on seventh grade language arts and like the rules that we either learned or didn't learn. And when you take the rules off the table and you just write or you try something in all lowercase levels or you throw stuff out there on a platform like LinkedIn that has such a professional vibe and you throw it, you know, you give it just a little bit of a different feel. It's interesting to see what people pick up on and where attention is. But I think it's all rooted in this fact that we get hooked on rules and anything that does not play by the rules is like throws us off. And and what people do in that moment when they when they're thrown off is really interesting. So writing is a perfect place to be able to see what people do in that moment. It, it's kind of. Uh, so my friend's Jeffrey Gittimer. Mm-hmm. And he writes, Gittimer, his message is, write like you talk. And the hell with grammar, the hell with rules, just say it in, in, in text, just like you would say that we're having a conversation. I like that style myself because mm-hmm. that's, A, the only one I know, and B, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. know a proper sentence structure if it hit me over the head. Um, so... You know, I go back and my, my sister, who's an educator, as well as my nieces, and my, I got a lot of educators in my family, and probably if they ever listen to this going, my God, son, we know you're uneducated. <laughs> but um, it, is, it is interesting uh, what ca- LinkedIn is a freaking like a study on human behavior all by itself. Um, you know, is it? Facebook, is that a little bit too personal of information to put on LinkedIn, you know, and you get all these haters talking. But what really strikes me, Meg and and Gabby both, y'all may have noticed this or or seen it, but it's interesting of what people respond to because I post some stuff for a company and I'm always like jiggering around with, you know, different content, whether it's people, whether it's technology, it's amazing to me what gets uh, reposted and liked and passed on. Yeah. Stuff that is kind of like surface level, mm-hmm. um, like a little bit of a human interest story goes a long way. I can talk about some really, really, really cool technology and nobody reads the damn stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, basically. So I'm just experimenting on it. Do, you, yeah. do, you, do y'all both find that? Because you're both in the communication business to, to different different levels. But, I mean, do y'all see that? Like you're trying to figure out what resonates? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know, Gabby, your experience. But I know for me, I what I do for myself is experiment. You know, let's try different types of content buckets, you know, whether it's professional, personal, uh, a writing piece, a short form, long form, like I'm always kind of testing it just to see what what works or what doesn't work or what gets picked up by the algorithm or what doesn't. Um, And I'm always interested in that. And then the other piece of it from, you know, working with clients is that sometimes clients work really hard on a piece and they put it out there 
and it doesn't get the likes or the engagement or and that that leaves people and i think it's very natural it leaves you with this like you just feel uh a little insecure you're disappointed and i think for me in those moments when that happens with a client it's coaching them to keep trying like let's try another one or let's let's throw it back in the feed in another two weeks at a different day and time just to to put it in the flow I think the other piece too on that note is that we always think once we publish something it's like it's gone and what's great is that on a platform that moves so quickly like LinkedIn, you can repurpose it and re- you can reuse it and you can re- reshare it. But, you know, it's not dead once you post it. It's like, well, I can never touch that again. The magic is the fact that you can post that same thing and an entirely different audience might see it. You just you never you never know you're you're part of a system um, so that piece is now like a living creature. And so it's like, how do we give it life again? Well said. What about you, Gabs? Oh, I I definitely agree with your points, Meg. I think from my experience, just being here at market scale alone, I've kind of realized that that level of personalization is really important in what gets the likes and what gets the views and really gets people involved in that content, whether it be on a website, on LinkedIn, on a podcast, any any form of content creation at all, that level of personalization is really what gets people involved and want to interact with the content because it's not just the technical and the analytical and things like that. There's something that they can actually relate to. I like to think of it like Tumblr when Tumblr was just such a huge thing and everybody loved Tumblr because it was all these quotes and these meaningful, thoughtful words that people really connected with. And some people didn't connect with some of them and some people did connect with some of them, but everybody was on it because there was something there for everybody. And when you establish those connections, then you're going to get the views and you're going to get the interaction that you are looking for, whether it is, you know, like Greg said, barbaric kind of writing or really professional writing. Um, As long as it has that kind of personalization to it, I think that's definitely important. You know, thinking about what what you both just said it really also depends on what message we're trying to communicate and why you know is it for business is it fomo you know all these weird things that make you wonder about your content my reason is am i helping people understand the industry am i understand or helping people realize they can have a career in the industry because i'm i'm a continual recruiter um, so that, I just always think about what, what is the end game? You know, what are we trying to get to? And I have to remember that there's a little bitty small percentage of the population who's interested in air conditioning until it doesn't work. Uh, and then, you know, another smaller population of who could uh, think about being in the industry as a worker. So really, really uh, a dynamic conversation, no doubt, no doubt. Well. Meg, what, um, so I was looking at your website and there's a part on there about Faye. 
with uh, is she your in-house partner and on the on the photography side? Tell us a little bit about that side of your life. Yeah, so um, I'm also the co-owner of a small company. It's really kind of like a sister company to to Toth Shop, and it's called Toth and Fay. And Toth and Fay, Fay is um, a reference to Julia Fay Photography. Julia Rohrbach and I started working together probably about five years ago now. Um, clients would come to us and they would need both content and photography. And so we thought we'd make everyone's life easier by offering packages that, that gave people both in a very easy, efficient, fun way. And so we, we teamed up to offer content and photography as one package. And so now Julia, we still support several clients, mostly in the Charlotte area since Julia is based here in Charlotte, which is where I am as well. We do have a couple clients that will um, fly her all over the country to um, take pictures. But really, it, it came from the idea of like, you know, how can we make clients' lives easier? We know that they're going to ask for it. You know, several times, several times I'd be you know, I'd be writing a piece and I'd ask them like, well, what, what's, what are the pictures going with this? Or where's it going to live? And you could see the blank expression on their face because they hadn't really thought that through. And so it was natural to bring in a photographer. And now a lot of times when we do websites and we help with website copywriting and storytelling, oftentimes we get the same question about you know, well, what are, what are the, what's the visual identity of the website? And we get the blank expressions. And so now it's, it's extended beyond just content pieces, but now so more websites. Um, we've also done some magazines and some almost like annual report style magazines, um, where again, it's kind of one, a one-stop shop. You know, I think that's so important. Um, I was talking to a good friend of mine. He he works in the CTO's office of a major worldwide computer manufacturer that shall go unnamed. But um, interesting that they have their corporate philosophy is the easy button. They want to make it easy for you to buy from their website everything you could possibly need for computing. Um, but there there's a certain uh, uh, gap in their offering that he and I've been talking about. And I just always love that fact that, you know, there's a goal to make buying easy because this day and age, uh, I mean, y'all are consumers like I am. It's damn hard to find somebody who you think actually wants to help you buy something. There seems to be a lot of anti-sales efforts out there, you know, when you're out in the world. Um, but I just I love the fact that you have that vision of making it easy for people to say yes more please. Um, you know that's always been my goal as a business owner and as a, a, a you know a leader or coach or whatever I'm doing is to make it easy to say yes. Um, it's it seems like that would be innate in all business owners, but it's not, um, and I find that shocking. I don't know why. I'm 58 years old. I'm still shocked about stuff like that. But <laughs> one day, one day, maybe I'll quit being shocked. But yeah, I, 
Yeah, I told a friend of mine recently, she's got a son who's uh, 20-ish, 22-ish maybe. And I told her, uh, Denise, uh, I'm like, if you would take your son, uh, who is a, he's capable of working, buy the man a van and a trailer and outfit it with tools, and the name of the company is Yes, so that when somebody says, can you help me with this? Yes. Yes. Maybe that's digging a hole for a bird feeder. Maybe it's hanging a picture. Maybe it's changing floodlights. Because th- this guy has a, a little bit of a medical condition where he, he needs, you know, to be flexible in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But anybody could do that that's willing to get out and work a little bit and hustle a little bit, especially in this day and age, because you can't find that handyman or your neighbor's not handy like he used to be or whatever. Uh, people need things done. And mm-hmm. I really think that yes.com uh, could solve that problem for a lot of people. Because, uh, yeah. you know, if, if I weren't here and I weren't handy with a hammer or a wrench or whatever, my wife has a lot of needs uh, <laughs> because I'm the doer. You know, I, I can do a little bit of everything. But to have somebody that has the vision of saying yes to a lot of stuff would be such a cool little thing to to a franchise. So there you go. There's your nugget of the day. I mean, I think that's a great idea, Greg. I, it's it's true though. I think you know people just need solutions and answers faster. And obviously, we offer photography support when it comes to Julia. But I think the other thing too is, you know, if we have a a marketing manager or even a CEO who's like, we've got to rebrand. I know I need story and I need a website and I need design and you can just see the overwhelm. I'm happy to be able to say, look, you know, my style, we've, we've got our style when it comes to writing. If you're happy with that style and you see my vision there, like I've got partners for you. I've got somebody in web design, somebody in graphic, you know, I, I can help you out. I've got kind of my like creative Avengers team. Um, and it's one last thing that they've got to like Google while they're watching Netflix to try to find a website designer. Um, and they, they don't know who to trust. They don't know what's reasonable. And if I can take that, you know, if our shop can be a partner in that, that's one of the pieces of the website, Greg, that people are fascinated with that. They're like, Oh, why do you why do you put other services on there? And it's like because storytelling does not live in a vacuum. We need other ways to tell stories. We need the website. We need photography. We need we need legal support too. Of like, yeah, d- does this messaging make sense? Is it compliant um, or accessibility resources? Like there there are a lot of other creative partners to bring in. It's copywriting is not in a vacuum. Uh, possibly agree with you more on building a team of problem solvers that and and the cool part about it for me Meg is that I, I suspect your other partners operate in a similar manner so mm-hmm. that if somebody's doing legal work and their customer says hey I need web support they, they come to the same uh, tribe as you as mm-hmm. whatever word you use but it's your your sphere of, of creativity. Mm-hmm. And all the different flavors that go into that soup are, you know, what you guys represent as a team, as a tribe. Yeah. And the days of not cross promoting your partners are nuts. I I Mm -hmm. think people who don't do it are nuts because I don't care 
who has the initial contact myself. If somebody needs help and we can help, what do I care who made the introduction? Right. If there's a problem to be solved, then the team can go solve that. So interesting dynamic on people. But it's it uh, that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, which is bananas. Like you said, like, uh, I, I can't believe people don't cross promote. Like, you know, one of my things when I started the business was I wanted to be able to create jobs and I've created jobs. And I've also thrown a lot of work to other creative collaborators to build their companies. So that's the goal is that every, you know, rising tides, if I can throw you work and you succeed, then like, I'm happy. Well, having advocates in the marketplace is the most, you know, thrilling thing that can happen. Um, you know, I think about it. There's a, a I'm looking over the houses across the street from me and I can see the main road and there's a cheese shop that recently opened. Ultra niche, ultra weird, ultra no parking, ultra hard to get in and out of, ultra a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. But being, you know, I mean, they're new to the neighborhood, so I want to support them. So I go in there a couple of weeks ago and introduced and said, hey, you know, I'm your neighbor, yada, yada, yada. And I, I said, do you have, um, I was looking for some particular balsamic vinegar that we like to use on our on ourselves. She said, um, we don't carry uh, vinegars and oils because there's an oil shop right down the road and we don't want to compete with them. I said, well, that, that makes sense, I guess. Um, I said, are they aware of your product? She said, well, we haven't, you know, made that as official introductions yet. And she said, well, we don't want to compete with them. And I said, well, what do you think about this? I mean, she's probably thinking I'm a nut coming in there offering business <laughs> advice, but what do I care? So I said, why don't you go down there and talk to her and carry a box of your products and let her put those on your shelf and you put some oil of hers on your shelf and you cross pollinate each other in your, in your respective shop. She looked at me like I was crazy for a second. And then she looked at me like, well, that's probably not a, that bad of an idea. Yeah. And I said, you don't have to compete, but you can cross sell and help each other. And then do some kind of reconciliation, you know, where once a month y'all take inventory of each other and you bill each other for what you used or whatever. And, mm-hmm. But to your point, Meg, it's so crazy that people don't think that way or they think that, you know, somebody that's almost in their business is a competitor, even if they're clearly not competing, but yeah. they're a writer and I'm a writer. Well, hell, there's a lot of different ways to write. and. Mm-hmm. It's, it's baffling, no doubt. That it's that's interesting. You bring that up, Greg, because I had who you would probably think is a competitor. She emailed me and she was like, "Hey, you know, I know we do similar work. Would you be game to have coffee?" And I said yes. And we met for coffee, and she's like, "I'm honestly surprised you said yes because on paper we were competitors." And I never really saw it that way because I was more so thinking of it like, well, you've probably experienced similar client opportunities or challenges. Like maybe we can help each other. And that ended up being one of my favorite creative collaborations because it was, and and this is a hard, especially with, with women sometimes. Um, but 
it was like, we, we never approached it as competition. It was more, how can we support each other? And especially with writing, we have different writing styles to your point. Like a lot of her work and my work didn't really intersect because we had different styles and we attracted different clients. So it's all in how you go into those, like what your mindset is going into collaboration in general. Well, I, I'm a huge believer in um, abundance versus scarcity mentality. Um, I'll walk around in abundance. There's there's plenty for everyone. You know, if you walk around with your arms around it, it's going to escape through your fingers eventually anyway. So I just, as I normally do, I look down and I see the clock and I'm shocked <laughs> and, um another shocking moment of my 58 career year career. But, well, Gabby, um, I guess this is the part where we start to have to bring the mule back into the barn, as they say. That's what I say anyway. Um, so we're this. This is the uh, and then for y'all who uh, don't know Gabby, she's new to our team and she's leading us uh, today in her maiden voyage. So uh, great, great job, Gabby. Um, Thanks for guiding us, Gabby. <laughs> Thank you. It was my pleasure. And I'm, I mean, the amount of arm twisting that had to go on, Meg, you wouldn't <laughs> believe it for me to get her to join us. I, I really do. Uh, I want to say thank you for taking time with us. Uh, I, I feel like we could do three more hours of this because it's so <laughs> cool when you get to talk to like-minded folks who get it. You know, here we are in totally different worlds, but yes.com is the you know, prevalent mm -hmm. uh, message that, you know, how do we do more by helping than we do? How do we do more by trying to be scarcity mentality with the thing? So I really do appreciate it. I appreciate your, your friendship. I know we don't see or talk much, but uh, I always feel like you're there and, and I hope you feel that way um, in supporting what you do. Well, I have to tell you, the first time I met you, Greg, I don't know if you remember this, but you gave me your business card, which was really the coin with your name. I Well, I was going to tell you, I'm a big golfer and I use it as a ball marker. Yeah, a lot of people do that. I think of you every time I'm out on the course and I have to, I got to line that putt up the right way. So I appreciate your friendship and, and I think of you every time I'm out on the golf course. Well, I appreciate hearing that. I'm not a golfer, but every time I golf, I think about you. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Thank you for that. But I, I really do uh, enjoy what you do. I love your your content you put out on the world. I love your, your email, newsletter. It's all good stuff. And I do appreciate the lowercase. So. All Thank right. you. Well, Gabby, this is where you get to shine, my friend. <laughs> well, Meg and Greg, it was great talking to you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. You can check out previous episodes on marketscale.com or Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Tune in for the next episode. Bye.